From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Washington Watch. Thanks so much for tuning in. Coming up, Democrats, including the White House, are on the defense after Stacey Abrams was very candid about how they think we should deal with the bad economy which their policies have created. Abort your children. But let's be clear. Having children is why you're worried about your price for gas. It's why you're concerned about how much food costs. Now, I know we would like to think this was just a faux pas by one of the abortion zealots that's out there. But President Biden was asked yesterday about his top priority. Is it inflation in the economy to help families move along or is it abortion? Just hoping to clarify for midterm voters, top domestic issue, inflation or abortion. They're all important. Unlike you, there's no one thing. It crosses the board. Domestic, ask me about foreign policy, too. There's multiple, multiple, multiple issues, and they're all important. And so, and we ought to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. You know that old expression. Well, for Americans, the issue is the economy and what's happening with pocketbook issues. We're going to talk about that later with John McLaughlin. Also, bureaucrats are concerned that the people are moving on from the hysteria of COVID. So what do they do? Well, they resurrect fear. Last week. The Emergency Committee on COVID-19 met to discuss the global situation and the way forward. The committee's view is that COVID-19 remains a public health emergency of international concern. And I agree. That was the UN's WHO Director General Tedros Ghebreyesus yesterday saying that COVID is still a crisis. Yeah, bureaucrats just can't let go of it. Missouri Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler, chair of the House Values Action Team, joins us in just a moment. And big news out of the U.K. today. I recognize, though, given the situation, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. That was British Prime Minister Liz Truss announcing she is stepping down. We'll look at the implications of this and the state of freedom of speech in the UK with Peter Mikovina, who is a co-founder of Hearts of Oak, a UK-based freedom of speech alliance. And another installment of the American Bible Society State of the Bible report is out, and it suggests that those who read the Bible are on to something, that if others knew about it, They would be reading the Bible, too. What does the report reveal? Well, we're going to talk about it with Dr. John Plake, Director of Ministry Intelligence at the American Bible Society. That's coming up. You don't want to miss that conversation. All right. We've been talking about it. I'm going to continue to talk about it. Midterm elections are here. Early voting has already started in many states. And we have a special resource for you. It is is a personalized voter guide. Here's what you need to do. Text the word guide, G-U-I-D-E, guide to 67742. Text it to 67742. You'll get a link. Follow the link. You'll be asked for your address. You put in your address and you will get within seconds a personalized voter guide with a uh, an evaluation of the candidates. Are they moderate? Are they conservative? Are they liberal? Based upon faith, family, and freedom issues. So again, text the word guide to 67742. 
The word for today comes from Second Chronicles chapter 36, verses 15 and 16. And the Lord God of their father sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. You know, God is merciful, not wanting any to perish. But there comes a point in the lives of individuals and nations when the clock runs out. The southern kingdom of Judah looked like a spiritual ping pong match with the nation going back and forth between godly kings and wicked rulers. Each time they strayed, God would send his prophets to warn the people, reminding them of the truth. But too often they mocked them and they despised the word of God. Judah's rejection of truth eventually brought them to a place where there was no remedy no way out. May we respond to God's warnings. To be a part of our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. Today, a CDC committee recommended that COVID-19 shots be adopted as a part of the standard vaccine regimen for children. While this is not a federal mandate, individual states determine their own vaccine requirements based off of the CDC recommendations. But Question, are states inclined to adopt these recommendations? And how, this, how will this impact families and their children? And, and here's a bigger question. Why is the CDC ignoring the many complications reported from this experimental shot, especially in young people? Join me now to discuss this and much more. Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler, she is a member of the House Armed Services Committee, the House Agricultural Committee, and as I mentioned, she is the chair of the Values Action Team. She represents Missouri's 4th Congressional District. Congresswoman Hartzler, welcome back to the program. It's great to be here, Tony. Thanks. Uh, As I mentioned, the CDC is not mandating this shot, but they're putting it on the list of recommended, recommended vaccines. How will states respond to this? And is it too early based upon the evidence that's out there to suggest that this is a shot that children should have? Well, absolutely. I'm a former teacher, and it very it concerns me very, very much that they're suggesting and adding this to the list. Uh, as you point out, there are many uh, negative health ramifications of taking the vaccines, but the fact is that most young children uh, don't get COVID, or if they do, they have very, very minor, uh, minor health problems from that. It's more like a cold or the flu, like they get every year. In fact, uh, there are many more children that go into the hospital for flu than actually, you know, passed away from, from COVID. And yet they're mandating this. And it's unlike the other vaccines that we all took as children, say polio or, or tetanus or some of these others that have serious ramifications and and paralysis and put people in wheelchairs. COVID is not uh, in that category, and yet they want to impose this on our children. And sadly, many states do follow the CDC guidelines, even though they're guidelines. And many school districts use the CDC to base their school policies. And so especially in liberal states and liberal school districts, I expect that they're going to try to add this and mandate it and say to the parents, well, this was on the CDC list, and parents are not going to have that option anymore, or they're going to have to make these decisions about whether to take their children out of school or or to do something else. So it is following the political science, not the real science, to the detriment of our children, and it's very, very concerning. Well, you're right. Even the president, maybe it was a a slip, but he said uh, the COVID pandemic is over. 
Um, you know, maybe common sense grabbed him for just a moment. Uh, he said that last month. But yet you have the director general of the WHO saying, oh, yes, we see that this is still a gro- global threat to me. This is nothing more than bureaucrats trying to hold on to the power that they were exercising over people. Yeah, they're trying to still be relevant. They, they like that power. They like that relevancy. They like people tuning in and listening to their every word during the pandemic. And now that's not the case. People are going on with their lives as they should. And uh, so they're trying to be relevant again and, and retaining that power. And we have to oppose it and push back on it. I'm going to switch gears for just a moment because we've seen post-Dobbs. We saw the media coming out talking about how Republicans were so extreme on the abortion issue. Uh, You know, Lindsey Graham came out with a bill, a pain bill that says after 15 weeks, when we know science says a child feels pain, that should be uh, at least a place of consensus where actually about 60 percent of Americans agree that there should be a line there. But the Democrats are really the ones that are extreme. I mean, you, you heard the clip I played of Stacey Abrams yesterday on MSNBC saying that, hey, the way we need to deal with these bad economic times, you need to have the ability to abort your children. Well, it's horrific. It's barbaric. It is unbelievable. I mean, she, she said that no woman should be forced to have an unplanned uh, pregnancy and that that is going to be the cause of the economic problems. But I want to point out, first of all, there is no unplanned, I mean, un unwanted, excuse me, she said every unwanted pregnancy. There is no unwanted pregnancy. There are thousands of couples in America who would love to raise that child who cannot have their own children. And how come Stacey Abrams is not touting uh, adoption? If she thinks that babies are an economic problem such to the extent that she thinks you ought to uh, take the life of that unborn child, at least why don't you promote adoption? But the fact is she's trying to uh, tune into and try to uh, stimulate the fear among women to get votes. This is all about the election. And uh, so she's trying to stoke this fear among women. But the fact is that as pro-lifers, we have over 3,000 pregnancy help centers across this country to help women. There is no choice. I mean, if women... Uh, are having economic problems, there is help available. These pregnancy help centers will give them free diapers, clothes, uh, formula. They're there to help them after that baby gets there. There are people to surround them. And, yes, there are government programs to provide food and housing and to help. So this is just a red herring uh, that she is using to try to stoke fear in women uh, to try to pull out an election, and it's wrong. I mean, it really looks at children as if they are burdens rather than blessings from God, which Scripture makes very clear to us that they are. Absolutely. I mean, the value of a child cannot be reduced to dollars and cents. Every child is precious. Every child has a plan and a purpose from God, and abortion snuffs out and steals away that plan and purpose, and we are all worse off because of it. Well, Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler, I want to thank you for joining us. I want to thank you for your leadership on Capitol Hill. You've been leading on these issues uh, ever since you arrived here in Congress, and uh, we're grateful for you and for your leadership. Thank you. It's been a blessing and honor. Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler of Missouri's 4th Congressional District. As I mentioned, she's also the chair of the House Values Action Team. There could not be a greater contrast on this issue of life. Now, there's many issues. 
but this issue in particular is the issue that drives this contrast between the two parties. The Democratic Party, as you heard from Stacey Abrams, who I think is reflective of the party, they see children as a burden that we need to abort, to eliminate, where the Republicans, and not all, these are the party platforms, but 80% of the time they adhere to the party platforms. The Republicans see children as a blessing from God. That is in line with biblical truth. And so I think you need to look very closely at where candidates line up on these critical issues, life, human sexuality, parental rights. You know, tax rates are important, taxes, all of that economic issues, very important. But I will tell you this, if someone is right on the life issue, if someone is right on parental issues, they're right on human sexuality in terms of how God designed us, you're going to be right on most of the other issues. So get our voter guide. It'll be a personalized voter guide. Text the word guide to 67742. That's 67742, the word guide, and you will get a link, put in your address, and you'll get a personalized voter guide. All right, coming up, polls continue to predict Republican advances in both the House and Senate and the midterm elections. But can you trust those polls? We're going to discuss that with a polling expert. Next, after the break, don't go away. More Washington Watch straight ahead. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org slash worldview.
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, as the midterm elections approach, polls continue to reveal inflation and the economy are the main factors influencing voters' decisions at the ballot box. And given the Biden administration's abysmal record on the economy, Republican candidates appear to have momentum as we head into the final stretch. Now, it's worth noting that we've seen many polls massively miss the mark recently, actually in recent years beginning with uh, former President Trump's first run for the White House. So what should we be looking for as we forecast the upcoming elections? And can we? Quite frankly, you know, what it comes down to is who shows up to vote. And so I'm going to encourage you just to use this as a reference point, but make sure that you show up and you vote. Join me now to discuss this and more is John McLaughlin, CEO and partner of McLaughlin and Associates, a national survey research and strategic services company. In 2016, he worked as an advisor and pollster for the Trump campaign. John, welcome back to Washington Watch. Uh, thank you for having me back, Tony. All right, so uh, let's, let's first take the issues. Uh, what are the top issues that your polls are showing matter to the voters? Now, I think the president and the Democratic Party thinks it's all about abortion, but is that the case? No. In fact, uh, in, in fact, you know, they, they're trying to make more of the Hobbs decision than actually happened because most states didn't change their laws. So uh, uh, and most voters know it. And uh, uh, the reality is when you're looking at, at, at we, we have we post monthly polls and we're about to poll, post a new national monthly poll and uh, the Republicans for a generic ballot were tied in, in August, 45-45. Then in September 48-44, the Republicans took a lead. Now it's 49 to 43, which is like the numbers we saw in 1994. Since I'm an old man, I remember that election when I polled for Gingrich and the, and the Republican leadership. And what it's being driven by is, is economic issues are the top issues. And uh, 61% of all voters think the economy is in recession. And 67 to 26, they say the economy is getting worse, not better. And when you ask people, you know, how has inflation affected them? 47% of all voters, almost half, said it's affecting them to the point that they can't afford basic necessities. And you have another 38% who are telling us that while they can afford basic necessities, they've had to make changes in their lifestyle due to inflation. 
And abortion is the top issue. It's only about 6% saying it's the top issue, the top determining issue. So, uh, so what you've got is an election where it's being driven by disapproval of Joe Biden, where 67% of all voters think that he's responsible for, of those that think it's on the wrong track. 65% say the country's on the wrong track. 67% of them say it's Biden's fault. And, uh, it's a it's a referendum on Biden and the Democrats. Their policies are failing. And you have a national crime wave. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Where does crime fit into this? Crime is, is more of a local issue. Like we poll. I'm a, I, I'm full disclosure. I'm a partisan pollster. I poll for Republican candidates across the country. We're seeing Lee Zeldin in New York, uh, you know, in a virtual tie with Kathy Hochul primarily because New York's undergoing a crime wave like they've never undergone before, where uh, they have this cashless bail program where people get arrested, you know, for violent crimes and are released. And, uh, you know, Lee held a press conference the other day where a subway stop in Jackson, Queens, where a person had been killed by pushing him off the subway platform. Well, there's been 40 instances of people being pushed off subway platforms this year in New York City. So you're seeing wow. a Republican do well in New York City among minority voters. The Democrats are in a panic right now about Kathy Hochul in New York. And the, the attor- Democrat attorney general, who's a radical, who's Tish James, uh, she says the law now today has to be changed. Well, where's she been for four years? I mean, this came under Andrew Cuomo and Kathy Hochul. They signed it into law. And it's, it's, you know, when they're all getting bad polls that they might get beat right. by Republicans, then all of a sudden they say they might do something. You can't trust them. A revelation. So, so yeah. the, the January 6th uh, hearings that uh, the Democrats have been having on Capitol Hill, it, it appeared that they hoped that that would be an election issue for them. But it seems to have completely dropped off the radar as an election issue. <laughs> Absolutely. Because it, it, it right. You know, they're trying to make they're trying to run against Donald Trump again. And they're persecuting President Trump. And President Trump really looks good right now in terms of it's it's like buyer's remorse. We have uh, almost seven out of ten voters said, uh, who are Republican primary voters want him to run again. Four to five will support him if he runs again. And he leads the field with over 50, a field of a dozen possible candidates, including Governor DeSantis, with over 50 percent of the vote. Nobody comes close to him. So it's backfiring that it's making him stronger that he and his candidates are going to do well. They, they tried the same thing last year uh, to Glenn Youngkin, and look what right, happened in Virginia. Right. Yeah, He won, and it was a Republican sweep. Uh, John, we only got about a minute, about a minute and a half left. Tell us a little bit about the science of polling and, and why it's becoming so difficult to predict the outcomes of these elections and, and how you have managed to become a little more accurate than the others. Well, first of all, it's media bias. Most of the polls you hear about are taken by the media. And the media has been corrupted and infiltrated. The most mainstream media, not you, Tony, but other mainstream media, has been corrupted by Democrat operatives who have, you know, do their news coverage and then are in control of these polls. So you've got like Chuck Todd, who <laughs> was a former Democrat operative. He's at NBC. George Stephanopoulos, he's at ABC. Um, you know, uh, Andrew Cuomo's brother is no longer Chris at CNN, but they, they're there and People like them and former Democrats are controlling a lot of these polls. So when you look at a poll, the first thing I do is what's Republican versus Democrat? And if they've got not enough Republicans, of course, they won't have enough Trump voters. So they they were doing that on purpose to basically say, 
the Republicans can't win. Don't bother giving them money. Well, the voters don't pay any attention to that. Right. So, so now you're seeing polls where the Republicans are surging in the Senate races and for Congress. So it's not so much uh, predicting what will happen as they're trying to shape the outcome of what would happen with their their polls. Uh, very quickly, we're, we're up against the break, John, but your predictions for the midterm? Well, first of all, our predictions are we're 19 days out. People got to go out and vote. These are just polls. Right. Uh, you know, if, if they get complacent, if Republicans, conservatives, uh, evangelical voters, if we get complacent and do not vote because we think we're going to win, then the Democrats will have a better day than expected and could be left in charge of the U.S. Yeah. Senate or, or, and possibly or control of the House. Uh, so, you know, we've got to go out and vote. Yeah. And that's if we go out and vote, it should be a good day. But we've got till November 8th. That's it. That's a, a long right. time. Politics. Well, we'll leave it there, and we'll talk uh, more later. John McLaughlin, great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. And, folks, get that voter guide so you can vote. Get your own personalized voter guide. Text GUIDE to 67742. Stick with us. We're back with more after the break. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, Students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make the difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. And again, get that personalized voter guide. Text the word guide to 67742. Follow the links, put in your address, and you will get within seconds your own personalized voter guide. Well, after just 44 days on the job, British Prime Minister Liz Truss has announced she is resigning her post and will step aside once her successor has been named. Her time as Prime Minister, the shortest in British history. To say her time was even more tumultuous than that of her predecessor, Boris Johnson, would be a nice way of putting it. Um, Peter McIlvana 
who works in the U.K. House of Lords. He's here in person in studio, and he reacts. Peter, welcome to Washington Watch. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you, Tony. Uh, I expect you weren't uh, anticipating this news when you came across the pond to the U.S., I wasn't. I just arrived yesterday. I certainly was not expecting this. I expected her to last certainly until the end of the year. There was a lot of pressure for her to step down, and she's succumbed to that. Now, it was driven kind of by the the markets uh, going down because of the budget, I think, that she put forward. Um, you've been here. You've been, you know, I think this is your fourth trip to, yep. uh, to the U.S. this yep. year. Yep. Right? So you've been you're here a lot. Are, is the political situation in the U.K. very similar to what it is here in the United States in terms of the, 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 the sharp division? Um, we actually don't. It's very different. We have at the moment a Conservative Party, which is slightly to the right of centre. We have a Labour Party, which is slightly to the left of centre. But there's very lo- little distinguishing them both. Um, the, you, really? When you listen to the leader of the Labour Party on the left and when you listen to most leaders of the Conservative Party on the right, you actually wouldn't necessarily know who you're speaking to. Um, and that was one of the things which drove Liz Truss out because she was a Conservative. She wanted to bring back energy dependence. She wanted to restrict immigration. Uh, she wanted to lower taxes. There were a whole load of ideas she came up with and it wasn't allowed to happen. So if you have this party that's kind of, they, they all talk alike, do they legislate alike? They do. Uh, the legislation generally has been very alike. Uh, we don't have any different fiscal policy in them. Uh, we have a policy of certainly censorship, restricted freedom of speech, the concern that if you say something that's offensive, that's the worst thing ever. Now, where do the parties line up on that issue? Oh, they both want censorship. So we have the online safety bill coming through, which has been five years in the making, that will restrict anything that's said online if it could or may or does cause offence. And offence is subjective. Oh, yeah. So it means you can't say anything online if that goes through. Yeah, and that has the support of both parties? Both parties. There are, out of 650 MPs, there may be 15 that are against it. Wow. <laughs> That's to me. That's a defining issue. If you're on the wrong side of the freedom of uh, of speech, uh, to me, you're on the left side of uh, of the political equation. Yes, they talk about censorship and they talk about safety and protection. Uh, so, for instance, with abortion clinics, if you are outside an abortion clinic opposing what is happening, you can be arrested and charged because they have buffer zones, which means if you pray or sing. If you stand there quietly praying outside an abortion clinic, that is breaking the law now in the UK. Now, th- this is really your bread and butter focus is on the freedom of speech. In addition to working uh, in, the, for, in the House of Lords, you also head up an organization that is focused on the freedom of speech. How connected is the freedom of speech in the UK with the freedom of religion? Wow. Um, we In the UK, it's quite different uh, from here regarding religion. We have a, a state church, the Church of England, right. um, but that is not really, during the COVID crisis, that is not given any moral or spiritual guidance. It has just become a mouthpiece for the state. So it is the, the independent churches, the free churches outside the Church of England um, that are actually the strong ones. So we have a, a very weak church. We have, and any politician will not speak of their faith. Uh, you've had a guest on earlier today sharing her faith as a as a that politician. Won't that won't happen there? would never happen. That would be frowned upon. That would be ridiculed. That would be mocked. And keep your faith at home. Don't bring it out to the public. That's, and that's, that's even in the Conservative Party? 
Yeah, so the Conservative Party, yeah, the Conservative Party has traditionally been, uh, I think they call the uh, Conservative Party, uh, they always linked it to the Church of England. Um, and they'd say the Church of England was a Conservative Party on its knees, as in praying. Mm. Uh, that has changed. When you look at the front benches, when you look at the leaders, uh, no longer do MPs in the Conservative Party talk about their Christian faith. They would have 20 years ago. That's completely changed. So given that, Peter, what, what would be your message to Americans, to conservatives? This is a, a program that primarily goes to Christians, to evangelicals, conservative Catholics in this country. What would you say to them based upon what you see is happening in Europe? Well, in Europe, we politically with some bright spots in Europe. Um, in Sweden and Italy, we've seen great elections. But actually, regard to the church across Europe, it's fairly weak. And we often look to the US. We look at your um, churches, large, vibrant, bold. Now, it may not all be like that, but often we see that. In the UK, actually, it's the black majority church that are the churches that are growing, that are passionate, and actually hold on to their belief system strongly in the public sphere. It's the Church of England, that kind of liberal middle class that's their faith has collapsed in media oppression uh, in terms of the spotlight. But it's actually just the black majority churches that are growing. That's where the exciting growth is coming from in the UK. So would it be safe to say that the church in the United States, the more vibrant it is, the more influence it has abroad? Oh, yeah. Uh, we, we look at what is happening here and marvel and say, God, we want that where we are. Uh, we want that boldness, that public engagement and that confidence to share your faith because we don't have that confidence, uh, which means we have, we'll not touch on this, but we have the rise of Islam off in the UK yeah. because that displays confidence where the church displays weakness. Well, amazing. Um, boy, we're going to have to visit more, Peter. Thanks so much for, uh, for coming in today and... Uh, Hope you enjoy your time here in the States. Thank you, Tony. And we'll be praying for uh, our brothers and sisters there in the UK. All right, folks, stick around. More Washington Watch on the other side of this break. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. 
With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. This is Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, again, let me give you this uh, text. Text the word GUIDE to 67742. You know, we're just talking about what's happening in the U.K., and, and, and what an influence we have here in the United States as we express our faith in public and, and, and even in our political process and, and how others take heart in that and it emboldens them. And I heard this a lot when I traveled the world uh, as the, uh, the chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. People really do look to the United States, and that's driven in a large part by Bible-believing Christians and how we interact with our government, how we interact in society. So we need to be voting our biblical values. You need to be praying, you need to be voting, and need to be standing for truth. So if you would like a personalized voter guide, text the word guide, G-U-I-D-E, guide to 67742. That's 67742. You'll get a link. Follow the link. Put in your address, and within seconds you will get a personalized voter guide that actually rates the candidates, liberal, moderate, conservative, based upon faith, family, and freedom issues. So if you're a frequent viewer or listener to Washington Watch, then you know that I like to emphasize reading the Bible. Family Research Council has a two-year Bible reading plan called Stand on the Word. Now, each weekday morning, you can actually join me for a short devotional that I do online based upon the daily reading. And it's fresh, sometimes right right then. Uh, you can actually find it at TonyPerkins.com. Or you can join me um, on Facebook. It's every morning about 8.44 a.m. Uh, it's based upon our Bible reading plan. And, and I, I can tell you, from my perspective, what America needs is a return to the Word of God. In that, you will find encouragement. You will find direction. You will find hope in the midst of, of a world that seems upside down. So that sets the stage for my next conversation. Last week, the American Bible Society released the seventh chapter of its 12th annual State of the Bible report. Now, this chapter is focused on Bible use. And while the overall findings, I would say, raise some alarms, 
Many of the details, I think, offer hope and encouragement. And I would hope, actually, motivation for people to read the Bible. For example, 92% of the group categorized as Bible users agree that the message of the Bible has transformed their lives. What else can we learn from the American Bible Society's latest release? Well, here to discuss this is Dr. John Plake. He is the Director of Ministry Intelligence at the American Bible Society and co-author of the annual State of the Bible Report. John, welcome back to Washington Watch. It's great to be with you, Tony. Thanks for the invitation. All right. The good news from the report is that those who actually use the Bible, who read the Bible, say, yes, this, tr- this has transformed my life. You know, that's really true. And we've really been heartened to see that as people consistently interact with the Bible, or frankly, even if they occasionally interact with the Bible, they're brand new to Scripture. When they pick it up, they really receive a life-changing message from God. And, you know, it's a it's a complicated book in some ways. It's an old book. And yet we find that it still has relevance for our lives today. And that is so encouraging to those of us who know and love God and his word. Well, John, from my perspective, this seventh chapter should probably be the first chapter because this sells the Bible. I mean, for those who actually are reading it, they're saying, yeah, this is good stuff. It's it's transformed my life. Yes, you got to wade through some of the stuff. Yeah, you got to use a dictionary sometimes. Yeah, you, it's helpful to 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 refer to a commentary. But wow, isn't this good stuff? So here's kind of the not so good news. There's not as many people experiencing that transformation as we would like to see. Yeah, that's true. You know, there are uh, 155 million American adults who don't make the cut. Uh, they're not considered Bible users. And and remember, being a Bible user isn't really all that hard. All you have to do is, is voluntarily read the Bible at least three or four times a year or more to be considered a Bible user. And that's been a consistent metric that we've used over the years. Now, that's so, not a high bar. That's not a high it's bar. It's not but, a very high bar. But to, even at that point, I mean, you're saying that your your survey shows that even that casual connection with scripture is transformational. You know, it really is. That's what people tell us. They, you know, we, we don't have any preconceived notions about it. We're researchers. And so we ask people, what's been your experience? And what we're hearing Americans say is when I open up God's word, I find that that message is transformational in my life today. It's not old. It's not out of date. It's not irrelevant, but it's really relevant for me today. And that's really good news. Now, your your data also shows, if I'm not, if I recall correctly, about uh, about 10 percent of Americans actually read the Bible on a daily basis. Do, do we see any differentiation with those in terms of their reaction to the Bible and other aspects of your survey with those who are regularly in the Bible? You know, we really do. I, scripture engagement is more than just how frequently you read the Bible or picking up the Bible occasionally. We use this definition. We say that scripture engagement means consistently interacting with the Bible, maybe not every day, maybe not uh, more than once a week, but consistently interacting with the Bible in a way that shapes our choices and transforms our relationships with God and with other people. And we find consistently that as people 
past that bar and they're in the category of the scripture engaged, they just do better in so many ways. They're better in overall measures of what Harvard calls human flourishing. They're, they have lower levels of stress. They cope better with the stresses that they, uh, that they encounter day in and day out. So there is this very deep and robust correlation between people who go to God's word seeking his wisdom, seeking to hear his voice, and those who are doing well in life. And that's encouraging for all of us. And so the Bible's better than Zantax. I mean, it, uh, it, it, it really does. And the scripture says, you know, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, uh, let your requests be made known unto God. And so with that thankful heart, we go to God. And uh, it, it really is a stress reducer. Because one of the other aspects of the Bible is that, I mean, it's the, it's the story of man. And man has ups and downs. Man has challenges. But we see the faithfulness of God toward his people. And I, I actually think, I don't think, I know, it gives me hope that if, if he did it for them, he'll certainly do it for us. I think you, you brought up a great point. And that is that people come to Scripture from different experiences and different perspectives. There's a broad group of Americans, about 66 million American adults, that we consider to be in the movable middle. These are people who are open to the Bible. They're kind of test driving the Bible. And for most of them, when they come to Scripture, they come to Scripture with their own questions or their own issues. They're they're facing some kind of disruption. Maybe it's good news, like I'm getting married and I don't know how to be a good husband. Or maybe it's challenging news, like I'm facing anxiety and uncertainty and I don't know how to handle that. And so often they come to Scripture with these questions. Does God's Word offer me any wisdom, counsel, help? for where I am in my life today. And, you know, what's fascinating is we find that when they have a competent guide to get them to what they're looking for, they do find hope and help in God's word. And often they tell us they're surprised by that. They say, I didn't know that was in there. And the second question is also kind of cool. And that's, I wonder what else is in there. And that's where the journey begins, digging into God's word and beginning to learn its shape, its structure, and its message for all of humankind. And that's in the study, it kind of breaks down kind of the door that people come through to the scripture. Some, as you just pointed out, it's based upon something in their lives and they want to see if the Bible speaks to that. Uh, there is a percentage that reads it uh, from cover to cover. They are, they have a reading plan. Others will read a book at a time. So there's a different way to approach it. I want to ask you if you have the demographics of Bible readers in this country, uh, old, young, male, female, what do we know? Well, what we know is that people of all ages are interacting with God's word. They do interact with God's word a little bit differently when it comes to medium. You know, uh, I have sitting on my desk uh, a good news version of the Bible. Uh, this one's printed, has my name on it, kind of looks like a Bible to most people. And and it is still the most popular way for Americans to interact with the Bible, even for Generation Z, the youngest American adults, um, a a plurality of them say, well, when I read the Bible, I like to do it in print. I like to, you know, sit someplace quiet or get with friends and open God's word and begin to read from a printed Bible. But increasingly, we're seeing digital ways of engaging with the Bible as also being helpful. And for many scripture engaged people, they are additive. So it's not, well, I might read from a print Bible or I read from a digital version of the Bible. Instead, it's like, well, I read from a print Bible at certain times of the day, but then I use a digital Bible reading plan, or I open the U version app, or I, I engage with the right. Bible through some other means. 
Yeah, I mean, like me in the morning, my, my Bible study time, I have my, my Bible, my study Bible, but I have the computer open, so I'm looking at different different versions of uh, different translations of the Bible. Uh, so I use both. But I will say I, I default to the actual Bible. I like to have the paper in my hands. I like to be able to go through the pages. I, I, but I'm like that in many ways. I'm still not a, a, a much of an electronic uh, reader. All right, John, I, I want to go to focus on uh, some of the not-so-good news. Um, that is, we've seen a decrease in the number of people that turned to the Bible and interacted with the Bible this year. Um, tell us about that and what might be behind that. Yeah, so just for those who are getting caught up on state of the Bible at this point in the year, what we noticed when we took our, our measurements back in January was that we saw a 10% decrease in the percentage of Americans who are actively uh, using the Bible. That is, they're Bible users. They open the Bible voluntarily at least three or four times a year or more. And that was interesting because consistently before we'd been seeing numbers around 50%. And when that dropped to 39% in 2022, uh, that represented 26 million Americans who basically said realistically they had stopped interacting with God's word. And so that is disheartening to us. And uh, we know that COVID probably had something to do with that. We were in the middle of the uh, the rise of Omicron, hitting especially the South and the Midwest at that time of the year. And we don't know if what we recorded was a blip or a trend. We certainly hope that people are going to turn back to God's word. They're going to open it up again, and they're going to find there that there's hope and there are answers and there's direction for their lives. Yeah, you, you mentioned uh, the whole COVID. That's kind of an outlier, and it throws a lot of things off because the world had changed. You go back into the field next year, you get a better picture of what that might look like. Um, we just got a couple minutes left, but I want to go back to something where you're talking about the demographics, where young and old, what are you finding in the younger generations, uh, Gen Z and others in terms of the Bible? You know, I think there is a mythology that people in Generation X and boomers have that there is um, there's some kind of a, a cultural dislike for the Bible. And actually what we're finding is there's not evidence of that. Instead, we're finding an openness to the Bible, but to use a $50 word, there's no epistemic privilege for the Bible. And basically what that means is that over the last 50 years, we've moved away from the default position that the Bible is good and I should know it. And if it says it, I should believe it. Instead, the Bible is competing in the marketplace of ideas in America, and people are open to it and willing to listen to it, but often they don't know how to dig in. They don't know how to find what they're looking for. And so they need those of us who are familiar with Scripture to be open to their questions and help guide them to the answers that we find in God's Word. Well, that actually sets up the next question is how can we help them? What's the best way to help those who, who want to experience the Scripture and, and have that transformation that others talk about. I think there's some great ways, but it all begins with listening. I mean, state of the Bible research fundamentally is about us at the Bible Society listening to our neighbors in America and trying to answer their questions, understand where they're coming from so we can connect them with God's word. And that's on a big national scale, but on a small scale with our neighbors and with our friends as they're facing issues in their lives, it's up to us to connect them to God's word. 
And there are some great tools for that. Our friends at YouVersion have created the Bible app, and you can download the Holy Bible app from the App Store or Google Play Store. And it has Bible reading plans for every topic imaginable. I actually did this little exercise with an Uber driver in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and I pointed him to some resources for parenting. He'd never read the Bible before, but he was so grateful that I could connect him to a biblical answer to the questions he was facing in his day-to-day life. And so I'd start there. Where's that person? What do they want to know? And then help them connect to God's word, just like you've done. So final question for you, uh, Dr. Plake. Um, More of this year's report still to come? There is. We're preparing our final substantive chapter that comes out in November. It should be out November the 10th, and it's on generosity. I think you're really going to be excited about that. I know I am. I want to tell you all about it right now, but I have to wait. And then we will do our top 10 stories in review. They'll be released um, the first or second week of December, just in time for Christmas. And so we hope you'll make the Bible a part of your life, that you'll follow along with us at stateofthebible.org. All right. Well, Dr. Blake, for, from, uh, if you want my two cents, I think the way you've uh, released it uh, with one chapter at a time allows us to go a little bit deeper instead of trying to digest the whole report at one time. So I think you guys are doing a great job. Always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you, Tony. God bless. All right. And, folks, I cannot emphasize enough how impactful the Bible is, transformational. And that's why here at the Family Research Council in Washington, D.C., a public policy organization, we're promoting the Bible because it gives us hope. It gives us peace, joy, and a way forward in a world that's upside down. Find out more, go to TonyPerkins.com. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, And when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 